Hi everyone, from Brooklyn, New York, this is Kajok, a podcast about the joys, the struggles, and the beauty of being Asian American. My name is Chian. My name is Greg. And we are the folk soul duo, Chian and Greg. We are also the hosts of this podcast. In today's episode, we will be talking about the Atlanta spa shootings. On March 16th, 2021, a 21-year-old man from Woodstock, Georgia, decided to open fire at three separate massage parlors, Young's Asian Massage, Aromatherapy Spa, and Gold Spa in Atlanta, Georgia, killing eight human beings, six of them being Asian women. I opened the episode by reading a piece I wrote the day after the Atlanta spa shootings. Then Greg and I have a conversation about how we felt that day, all the days that followed, how we feel about it today, and how the Atlanta spa shootings changed everything for us. I then read and discuss an excerpt of a Vanity Fair article written by Mei Chung called, How the Atlanta Spa Shootings, The Victims, The Survivors, Tell a Story of America. We end with a poem I wrote the day after the Atlanta spa shootings called, We Are Still Here. This podcast is completely supported by you, the listener. As independent artists, and for me, Tian, a female Asian American independent artist, it is imperative for us to receive adequate compensation for the work that we do. If you find value in our podcast and you want us to continue creating podcast episodes for you and the rest of our community, support Kajok on Patreon at patreon.com slash Chian and Greg. That's patreon.com slash Chian and Greg. You can also find the link to our Patreon page in the show notes. Thank you in advance for your financial support. We hope this episode brings you comfort. We are grieving with you today. March 17th, 2021, 6.17 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I woke up at 6.17 this morning. At 6.19, I checked Instagram on my phone, which I usually try not to do, but I was curious how our fun video about our Patreon family reunion was being received by our community. The first post I saw was by my friend, Rachel Chion Lee. It read, Dear my Asian brothers and sisters, Grieve. Don't swallow it. Cry. Don't silence your grief, pain, and anger. Tonight we grieve and pray. We will organize, but tonight we grieve and pray. I thought she was just saying this in response to all the anti-Asian hate crimes that have been committed in our country recently. I also got a little nervous. I scrolled down. I saw another post that said something similar. Then I saw my friend Susie Gomez's post. It read, They were Korean women my mom's age. That's when I knew something had happened to us. I read Next Shark's posts. I read an article that Time published. At 6.28 a.m., I called my mom three times. At 6.39, I called my dad. I called him again at 6.43, and he finally answered. He was asleep, and so was my mom. They had already heard about the incident last night while watching CNN. My dad said, it was all over CNN last night. I was going to call you in the morning to tell you to be careful and not go on your morning walk. Greg has to go with you. You can't go alone. Gee, you have to be careful. It's dangerous out there. Do we just have to keep getting hit like this? I really can't understand why this keeps happening to Asian people. 
His voice and his face communicated that he was scared, concerned, confused, and upset. There was an urgency and a very real fear in the tone of his voice. My mom's initial response was very typical of my mom. She said, I know I heard about it, Chi. What can we do? Just go back to sleep. She was laughing it off, brushing it off. I told her to stop laughing because it was making me feel invalidated. I reminded myself that this is just her way of coping with trauma after trauma throughout her tumultuous life as a post-Korean war child and an immigrant in America. 우리가 이렇게 계속 당해야 돼? Do we just have to keep getting hit like this? 이 또한 지나가리라. This too shall pass. 어떻게? What can we do? 조심해야 돼. You have to be careful. To my mom and dad, I said, seriously, don't worry about working anywhere right now. Those people were the same age as you and the people getting attacked are your age. Be careful. Seriously, this is serious. I woke up this morning thinking today was going to be normal with probably an egregious hate crime to be livid about. That has sadly become my normal. But this I don't even have adequate words or language to describe my feelings right now. This is too damn much. This is so across the damn line that I don't even see my own boundaries anymore. I have been feeling so many feelings since 6.19 a.m. I feel enraged. I feel scared. I feel frustrated. I feel sad. I feel gutted. I feel numb. I am so enraged that it took a goddamn massacre of our people for people to finally see us, for people to finally validate that what's happening to us is an injustice, for people to finally reach out. For people to finally speak up. Some people have still chosen to be silent. The silence I'm hearing from non-Asians is deafening. It's painful. The silence is communicating far more than you acknowledge or know. I have been laughing out of utter disbelief. I have wept. I have been consuming collective sighs of grief, anguish, and frustration all day. I'm scared for my parents' safety and well-being. I'm scared for my friends' safety and well-being. I'm scared for my people's safety and well-being. I'm scared for my own safety and well-being. This senseless hate crime, all the senseless hate crimes, make me feel like we don't matter. The silence I've been receiving from many of my non-Asian friends makes me feel like I don't matter. To my Asian brothers and sisters, I am with you. You are not alone. We are not 
alone. Do not believe for one second that your pain doesn't matter or your life doesn't matter. You matter. You matter. You matter. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you are contributing to a massive problem we as Asians have been facing for generations and generations. If you're only speaking up now on behalf of the Asian American community, my question to you is, where have you been? Where have you been all these years? Where were you during Kung Flu? Where were you during China virus? Where were you last year? Where were you last month? Where were you last week? Where were you yesterday? Where have you been? If this is you, please show us the respect we deserve, but rarely ask for. Take complete ownership for your silence, complacency, performative allyship, thoughts and prayers, and blind eye to our suffering before offering your condolences and togetherness. Search your heart and be really honest with yourself. Uproot the racism in your heart. Put your hands and feet and hearts in our suffering. Grieve with us, not for us. Be angry with us not for us. We deserve better. Non-Asians, take the time to pray with us. Take the time to lament with us. Make space for us. Do your own research on how hard our communities have been getting hit both today and in America's hidden history. Do not try to erase us or this day from your memory. We deserve better. To the victims of the Atlanta spa shootings, may you rest in peace and power. Park Sun Chung, age 74. Kim Hyun Chung, age 51. Kim Sun Cha, age 69. Yu Yong E, Age 63. Tan Jiaoje. Age 49. Fung Taoyo. Age 44. Delena Ashley Yan. Age 33. Paul Andre Michelle. Age 54. We just played the piece that you wrote the day you found out about the Atlanta spa shootings. I was there processing everything with you on that day. Um, could you share some more about like how you were feeling and what was behind um, just what you were writing? Yeah, so we found out the, the morning after the Atlanta spa shootings happened. So we found out on March 17th. And yeah, the day before we had recorded and posted this like fun video telling everyone we're having our Patreon family reunion and the Patreon family reunion was going to be a virtual show that we were going to do just for our patrons and so we were promoting that and we were planning on doing it 
like that month. It was in March. I think on our Patreon anniversary, like on March 23rd was when we were going to do the virtual show for our patrons. And so that's what we had just posted the night before or the day before. And I did not know about the Atlanta spa shootings that night. I guess I didn't check social media. So I woke up at 6 a.m. because that's the time that I wake up to journal. And then at 7 a.m. I typically go on my morning walk around the park. And so when I woke up at 6, I checked social media because we had just posted that video and I was wondering how it was doing. And when I went to check social media, that's when I saw Rachel's post saying that we should be grieving. And I was just like, you know, I did have like kind of like a eerie feeling, but I was like, oh, I mean, yeah, I think that makes sense because it's just been such a crazy time for our community for this past year. And then, you know, the next post was kind of like similar, similar vibe. And then it was Susie Gomez's post that I saw that said they were the same age as my mother or the same age as our mothers. And I was like, okay, yeah, definitely something happened, you know? And like, just, you know, that feeling of your, your like stomach is, is like sinking and just anxiety, just anxiety, you know? And when I read the time piece and I read other things online, I was just, I was like in, in like sheer horror. It was, it was like the worst. I mean, it's like the worst possible thing that could have happened, you know? And like, it was like my nightmare. And to find out first thing in the morning that this crazy thing happened was just so uh, very disorienting. And I remember I just like I have PTSD. So I just like immediately am going into like my PTSD mode and I called my parents and like they're not answering. And so that's stressing me out. And yeah, I mean, obviously when I'm reading this article, I'm just thinking about my parents. And I remember you were sleeping because it's 6 a.m. And I woke you up and I was like, there was a shooting and it was Asian people. And yeah, I mean, I was just like, they were still coming out with like more information, you know, but like, I remember just seeing the pictures that were taken of the spas in the dark and their like bright fluorescent fluorescent lights of of you know aromatherapy spa or like gold spa um or or young's massage you know just seeing the signs and just yeah just like I was just like yeah it just felt like a like a bad dream you know like I need this to not have happened and just feeling this sense of like no 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 like but then having just like this feeling of like being completely out of control and like feeling so angry because we saw this coming you know that was like one of the first things I thought was we fucking saw this coming for an entire year you know and nothing Nothing happened. Nothing happened to the people who were like killing us and smacking us around and stabbing us and slicing our faces open. Like nothing was happening to those people. And then, you know, Asian people are just supposed to continue walking around and somehow surviving this, these, all these like random attacks from like strangers, you know, like 
yeah, I was just so mad because we saw this coming and I was just, I was just so fucking livid. Like I have never felt so mad. Um, yeah. And that was just like the most, one of the most disorienting moments of my life. One of the most disorienting mornings of my life. And just talking to my dad, my dad was like, so scared and so stressed out and the fact that he was even thinking about it you know telling me to not go on my walk um just made me sad and yeah just hearing the fear in their voices made me so sad and just hearing like my mom and how disconnected she was too like because to emotionally engage with something this fucked up will break you you know, and, and like that's that's how she has chosen to deal with her trauma is like, just don't let it break you, you know, and and, and that comes with its own like dissociation comes with its own pain, you know, because you're just numb. And so. Yeah, it was it was. Yeah, that was one of the worst fucking days of my life. And that whole day I was just in a state of disorientation and rage, like just blind with rage, just so angry. <sighs> yeah. And like I hated as the story continued to unfold, it was just like getting worse and worse, you know, just like how these women were depicted as you know oh they worked at the massage parlor like oh it's this like dark seedy job or whatever and like I just hated that I hated that you know these women are working to support their families they're doing what they have to do to put food on the table put clothes on their children's backs send money back to China send money back to Korea to take care of their families and these women were just gunned the fuck down like animals and and they can't even be respected. And yeah, I just I just hated I hated the like the way they were being portrayed and how, you know, even when oh, my God, when the when the killer, when the police chief came out and did like a did like a segment yeah. or a, what do you call that it was the where worst. you the, uh, come out yeah. and you do the police report or whatever I was just like oh my god like I literally can't believe you're saying these things and you actually think them like that you actually think oh yeah he just did this because he had a sex addiction and yeah he was having a really bad day and then actually when they looked up who that police chief was they saw that this guy was anti-Asian too and he had created some t-shirt that was basically like blaming coronavirus on China and he was a racist too you know and it was just like just the racial gaslighting was just insane and yeah it was just like it was it was it was angering it was angry and I, I couldn't help but think about who are these people who are these people you know what are their names who are their families and then you know eventually their names came out and I don't know how many, but so like four of them or five of them were Korean, you know, and like and then just like hearing their names being butchered by the news was also just so painful because even in death, they can't just be like respected as as full human beings. Like people can't just 
you know, learn how to say their names, you know, like it's bad enough that they got gunned down at the place they work and you can't even say their names correctly. Like it was just all so just enraging. Um, One of the one of the things that was coming up for me that was really making me mad was how for an entire year, the church that we had been going to hadn't said one single thing about anti-Asian hate. I just was like, how is this possible that this is, I feel so, I felt so invisible at my own church. And I had already been feeling this way since 2019. And I had brought it up to my pastor, but nothing really happened from it. And then, yeah, to just kind of go through an entire year where, where anti-Asian hate is happening all the time. And and literally no one's saying anything about it. And then even into the next year, right? That was 2020. OK, going into 2021. And then no one's saying anything about it. But, you know, we were forming small groups around Black Lives Matter, you know, and we were having so many conversations about Black Lives Matter and going to protests. But when it came to Asian people dying, it was like silence. And I just felt like, do I do I not matter to to my church community? Like, do I not matter to my pastors? And so that was one thing that came up for me that was like, like one of the most painful things was our church hadn't been saying anything this entire time. And I hadn't confronted my pastor because I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I, and I probably wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because he is a black man as well. And so I want to be like, you know, he probably cares. He's probably going to say something, whatever. Right. And like when the Atlanta spa shootings happened, I was like, I can no longer stay silent because every Sunday I'm waiting for him to say something and he doesn't. Every Sunday I'm waiting for someone to say something and no one does. Not during prayer, not during the sermon, not during any part of the service. And so that day I sent him an email telling him that he missed us and that is a huge error on his part. And yeah, I sent him this long email telling him that and I ended up having a conversation with him like you know this and and like we both had a conversation with him and yeah we just experienced like extreme gaslighting like I I experienced extreme gaslighting um he when I told him that you know he was a part of like that he that his silence was complicit to our pain he he was only willing to accept that if I could give him forgiveness and move on and just, you know, be a part of the solution or whatever. And so when I wasn't ready to forgive him after he gave me his little apology, then that's when he got mad, you know, and he said things to me that I just hope and wish that no pastor ever says to anyone in their congregation Um, and this was, this was on Friday and the shooting happened on Tuesday. And so three days following the Atlanta spa shooting, he's telling me things like, you know, I really didn't want to say this to you, but you're the only one at our church who feels this way. You're the only other Asian who feels this way. And, you know, if Asians were feeling, if Asians had struggles, like, you know, 
they never told me about it. I've talked to Asians at our church. I've talked to all the Asians at our church and none of them have said anything to me about, you know, the violence or discrimination that they face. And it's like, why is that my job to educate you? You could literally Google Asian people racism and something will come up for you. You know, you could you could also do the work. You could do the labor of asking your Asian congregants what it's like to be Asian in America. And so, yeah, it was just like so enraging that he's telling me this and just just invalidating my experience saying none of the other Asian people at our church have said anything to him about him not saying anything on behalf of Asian Americans and like and then he also said he didn't know. He said he didn't know that anti-Asian hate was happening, which to me it's like that's that's bullshit because if you I mean like you have had to have heard Donald Trump say kung flu, China virus, Wuhan virus. You you have you have had to have heard that if you live in America. And so that's just not even true. That's not even true. And so it was just like so hurtful to me that our that our pastor who was also our friend the man who married us someone we've known since like 2016-17 would just be so invalidating of our experience and of my experience it was just so painful because he is my friend and my pastor and I felt like there really wasn't space and this is something that I noticed um, just like as you process through this, it's like there wasn't a space for you to be truly angry about what had happened. Like, yeah, no matter what, even like not just you, but I think anyone just like even the way the news was portraying it is like a moral question. Well, these people worked in this industry, uh, the shooter talking about the shooter. Like there was no, there was no like they were like centering. he had a sex addiction. Right, there was no like centering this uh, around the the victims, and you know when I saw you kind of trying to express like your anger at church or just in other areas, it was like even in those spaces there wasn't room for you to be upset. Mm-hmm. Um, there had to be room for other people's feelings. Right. There had to be room for other people not knowing what had happened. There had to be yes. room for other people's ignorance. There had to be like just, uh, it was like anytime you would express your full anger and rage, you were met with this but. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Right. Like, yeah, that I was need like to crazy. Be... It was infuriating because it was like, where's this anger going to go? You know, like this is valid and like makes sense. But like our society doesn't like, I mean, just, yeah, makes Asian people invisible. Right. And this is just like, you know, it's like so clear, everybody, this is such a messed up thing. And then um, there's still no room for this to just yeah. be. Yeah. And I think I was extra angry and hurt because I deliberately chose the church that we went to because it was a predominantly black and Latinx church because I live in Prospect Heights, Crown Heights that is predominantly black 
and Afro-Caribbean. And so that was the community I wanted to be a part of because that's the community that I live in. And I, I think something that I realized through the last year is I have never centered myself. I've never known that I right. am allowed to be the center of my own life. And so I constantly would center other communities, whether it was the white community or the black community. And, and so I think when COVID happened and then anti-Asian racism is happening at the same time and I'm going to therapy and I'm realizing how much of my trauma is rooted in racism that's when I'm starting to realize like, oh, there is space for me. I just haven't been taking it and I haven't been centering myself. And so I think through the process of COVID anti-Asian racism and ultimately the Atlanta spa shootings, I realized that I need more people in my life that look like me because those people aren't going to come at me with but something, right? I, I mean, some some of them might, but for the most part, if I'm talking to other Asian Americans, they're going to understand what I'm talking about and what I've been experiencing. And yeah. Well, let's talk about that because after that, after the, the Atlanta spa shootings, like it just, uh, it was a domino effect of like trying to, well, you didn't have space here and you didn't have space here as you began to center yourself, like just a lot of other things like you recognize were like unacceptable. Hmm. So, you know, can you talk about about that? Well, like what things? So whether it was like music that you couldn't listen to anymore. Oh, yes. Or oh, like my God. Yes, yes, yes. Whatever. Okay, you yes. know, like there's a lot of stuff that happened where it was just like, uh, I, I don't I don't see myself in this. You know, you stop seeing yourself in like. You, you just became awake to like yeah. the fact that you weren't at the center and right. you weren't represented yes. and the things you were consuming or the people you were hanging out with or yeah. 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 I do. I really do think that the Atlanta spa shootings just opened my eyes to the reality that I was living in and how much bullshit I was putting up with and what I was no longer willing to put up with. And so when I was on social media, obviously all of my Asian friends, which at that point I did not have like a ton of Asian friends, but I do have a lot, I think mostly from my time working at Liberty in North Korea and, and also from playing Ikasu and playing shows at universities for Asian student organizations. But a lot of the people that I follow, a lot of the bands that I liked were white or black. And so I two of the bands that I particularly loved were, well, I could, I could probably name a, a few, but like jo Joseph was one of the bands, Johnny Swim and The Lone Bellow. Those were three bands that I really loved. And when the Atlanta spa shootings happened, they were all silent when it came to what had happened that day. Johnny Swim posted a video of like posted two separate videos of their kids running around playing in their backyard in their house and laughing. And, and they posted videos of their kids doing funny things. And I was just like, how are you guys having a good day? How are you having a good day today? 
Like how how are you so disconnected from my human pain that you're able to have a good day? And Joseph, I had had a previous incident with one of their members who had made this is like a whole nother story, but she had made a kimchi zine. She had made a little like zine about kimchi and included, quote unquote, her own kimchi recipe in the zine. And she was selling it for money. And that made me so fucking mad. This was December of 2020. And I was so fucking mad that I reached out to her on Instagram. And I was like, hey, this is cultural appropriation. You're making money off of something that I've been made fun of my entire life. And you're calling it your own. That this is was also at the same time that like Korean restaurants were like shutting down and exactly, going out of business yes. because of the pandemic. Yes. And that's why it was especially frustrating and enraging because she's making money off of something that I have been made fun of my entire life for and for you know and all these restaurants are shutting down and and she doesn't know she doesn't know about that because she's not involved in our communities and so I reached out to her and I remember being so scared because I put white people on a pedestal and I didn't realize that, but that's what I did. And so reaching out to her, I'm so scared because I don't want I don't want Allie Klausner from Joseph to not like me. But I need to say this because I'm Korean and I'm raging pissed that you're doing this to my culture. And you also are doing this because you want to repair. Yeah. You would like yes. to be able to continue. To support them. To support them, to consuming their music and having it be a part of your life. You don't want to lose that. Exactly. Yeah. That was another big reason because... I I know that I can't continue to have a relationship with Joseph if they do something like this and I just stay silent, you know? And so my way of repairing was by reaching out. And so she reached out and she said, whatever, like, oh yeah, I had like some really good conversations with some of my Asian friends and thank you for bringing this to my awareness or whatever. But I mean, she didn't say like, okay, I'm going to donate 50% of my proceeds from the zine or 100% of my proceeds from the zine back to the Korean American community to these three Korean restaurants because that's me giving up my white privilege for the Asian American community. No, she didn't say that, you know? And, and so... I didn't really feel like it was resolved fully, but I was like willing to accept the crumbs that she was giving me because I was just very used to accepting crumbs from white people. And then when the Atlanta spa shootings happened and they didn't say anything, I reached out to them again and I messaged them and I said, and this was to the three of them. And I was like, hi guys, blah, 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 whatever. I'm a fan. By the way, I feel erased when you don't say anything when when the Atlanta spa shootings happened, you guys were completely silent. And the the one of the, the singer guitar player of their band, Natalie, reached out and she said, you know, we've been doing things offline and I totally hear you. And I'm trying to think of what else she said. She said, you know, we've been doing other things, but not social media things. And oh yeah, I often forget that, you know, we are a big voice and like we have all like all of this, we have this like huge community or whatever. And like, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was just like a bullshit answer, I think. And I had reached out and specifically said, you know, when Black Lives Matter was happening after George Floyd died, you guys did, you know, Pass the Mic, which was an initiative done by a bunch of different white 
musicians and celebrities giving up their microphone, giving up their social media accounts to black artists, to black creatives. And not only were they doing that, but they were they were doing all sorts of things to give up their privilege for the black community and for their silent for for them to be silent when Asian Asian people are being gunned down and murdered just felt like you must not feel responsible for our community. You know, like maybe you feel some white guilt from American history, but because you don't know about Asian American history, you don't feel that. So you don't feel responsible to give up that microphone, to give up your white privilege for our community. So yeah, I was raging fucking pissed. And another artist, his name's Toby Weegway. He wrote songs about Brianna. He wrote a song about Brianna Taylor that I loved and I shared. And I just loved like the social justice aspect of his music. He was also silent on the day that the Atlanta spa shooting happened. And actually a week before that, he posted a video of an Asian American man singing one of his songs. And he was basically making fun of this guy who was who was just a fan and liked his songs. And he was like making fun of this guy for being weird and dorky. And that made me feel like, dude, you're like you're like dehumanizing one of your fans. And so. Yeah, after after the Atlanta spa shootings happened and and then like all of these things happened with these artists and and you know you and I are musicians and I and music is such a huge part of my life. I was just like, "Holy shit, dude." Like I don't think the people that I love and like their music has just completely transformed my life. Like I these people don't even give two shits that I exist. You know, the Lone Bellow posted nothing they posted like the next day they might have posted like hey we want to like promote this artist or something like it, it was like nothing about asian americans nothing about the atlanta spa shooting i just felt like do you not see me and so i did like a complete you know music movie everything me re, like a like a rehaul you know like i stopped listening to all of the music i stopped listening to phoebe bridgers lucy dacus julian baker just like any all white people it was shocking i mean it is shocking the amount of just media or things that we consume that really doesn't center your life yeah and honestly i don't need them to center my life because they are white they are not Asian, right? But they can center us for a day. They can center us for a week. They could center us when it's when the time when it's time to center us, please center us. You know what I mean? Like at least for this moment, that would be a crumb, you know? Like give me a crumb and they're not even giving me that fucking crumb. Like I was just like I I like I like pay money to see your shows. I buy your music. I support you guys fully. And you guys don't even see me. To you, I am invisible. So I did a complete rehaul. I pretty much stopped listening to all music. The only thing that felt safe to listen to was the Minari soundtrack. And that was the only thing I listened to pretty much all of last year after March 2021 because it just felt too traumatic to listen to other people's music when I just felt like they didn't care about my existence. Um, and I think just listening to music in general felt painful because it was just a constant reminder of all of the music that I was losing. 
um, because I was choosing to give it up. I was it was like a basically a boycott. You know, I'm boycotting artists that I don't think value me and my community as human beings. But was it really a choice? Right. It wasn't. It it wasn't a choice. It wasn't because I think to continue to listen to that, knowing that, you know, after my like Asian American awakening or whatever you want to call it, like it would just feel like not genuine to me. Right. And it would feel like I'm erasing myself. I'm knowingly erasing myself. And so it was really painful because it felt like I was like losing my friends, you know, like losing like close relationships because these people are able to get close in a way that maybe some other friends aren't able to get close right like um and yeah i would say joseph's music changed my life and and saved my life and and i really connected to johnny swim's music too and and same for the lone bellow like um and so yeah it was really painful to lose these artists and and to just like think about you know, what am I consuming? It matters, right? Like on Instagram, I stopped following a bunch of the white people that I was following on Instagram as well. And yeah, I think it was really eye-opening to me how much white media I was consuming. And I realized that I had been worshiping whiteness and I did not know that I was doing that. So to so to then finally become awakened to the fact that like I have been centering white voices in my life or black voices in my life and I did not know that was just very shocking. And and yeah, like I I I think I didn't feel like I was allowed to stop listening to these artists or like you know this is just how the world is you know you just have to accept it um and and so I think last year is when I realized like no I don't I don't have to accept it and I and I also want to point out I know that there are other Asian American artists that I could have listened to I think just like listening to music last year just felt extremely traumatic because I was just having this like like life-changing realization that all of these people that I supported and loved that were musicians didn't didn't care enough to to make space for for our community i definitely think that's true and uh, you know i also just want to point out like the fact that like how just awful it is that if you want to find media music movies books that center your your life and like that that tell a story that's like that you identify with that's similar to your own how little there is out there yeah 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 i mean like even with i mean we could go into this maybe this will be a separate episode but like even with movies it was just like there were so many movies and tv shows i can't watch anymore man Like, like we had to give up all of the chris like every single christmas movie essentially yeah because it's just I mean, a lot of them are blatantly racist, but just, um, but yeah, like find a Christmas movie. There's like, there's like two or three and there's, I guess one or two more coming out every year on Netflix, but like, yeah, uh, you I know, think that's a lot to give up. It's a lot of childhood memories, right? It's a lot of, you know, music is like your, you know, it's your memories. It's your, it's your feelings. It's like what you went through and to have to give that up is like, is gut-wrenching in and of itself. It's another loss. Yeah. I do feel like I'm rebuilding that now. I feel like I finally have the ability to come back to music. Like, I didn't write a single song last year, and I think that's indicative of the pain, the painful year that I had to experience. 
But I finally feel like this year I do have the capacity to write and I do have the capacity to share. And I feel like last year was just like a ton of grieving and suffering. And so in that space, it's hard to create. But now I do feel like, you know, I I do I do have things to say and I do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, last year was so transformative in so many ways. Everything felt like it went on its head, you know, like we stopped going to our church, going back to the church topic. um, You know, we had conversations with our pastors, multiple conversations with our pastors where one of our pastors told me to teach her about the Asian American community. This was on Sunday following the Atlanta spa shootings. And she was like, teach me, teach me, teach us. Tell us, tell us what you guys are going through. Teach us like we are here. You can call us anytime. And it was just like putting the full burden on the community that was suffering. And yeah, that just felt like bullshit. And, you know, I even started uh, an an affinity group with other Asian Americans at our church. And that was like six, seven people. And I was even gaslighted by some of them. And even some of them were suffering with their own internalized racism And so, yeah, it just felt like fighting an uphill battle that and fixing a problem that's not mine to fix. Um, Yeah. So I just decided that after after many months of of thinking and leading this affinity group at my church, that was really just not helpful, like just like so traumatic to lead. I decided I can no longer be a part of this church because they don't know what we're going through and they're not willing to put in the like they're not willing to do the heavy lifting to support my community and I think that was really hard to land there because I felt like I was betraying our church community. We had been there since we moved here from California since 2016. We had seen the church go through multiple transitions and stuck through all of those transitions and to leave felt like betrayal. But I needed to center myself and I needed to take care of my own needs. And my needs were I need a congregation and a pastor who understands what I'm going through and can validate what I'm going through. And so I think in the summer in like June or July, we left our church and that was a really hard choice. And I'm really glad we made it because we're at a church now where I feel so much safer and so much more validated and so much more seen. Um, But yeah, that wasn't easy because we're leaving our entire community, our friends behind to search for an unknown community that maybe could not could possibly not even exist you know and so um yeah that was that was like a huge change I lost a lot of friends and I'm and I'm still in the process of losing friends um you know I I've lost my high school friends in the process of reclaiming my name that'll be its own episode but yeah I mean it's just been it's just been insane honestly everything that I've been experiencing since the Atlanta spa shootings has just been like a hurricane coming into my world and just flipping everything upside down and then me 
and, and honestly, it's like me choosing to walk away, right? I'm choosing to walk away from toxic relationships. I'm choosing to walk away from our church. I'm choosing these things. And, you know, like you said earlier, is it really a choice? Like, no, it's not really a choice. It's definitely not a choice. And I want to say, too, like uh, you put in a lot of effort to try to do the repair, right? Like, who's going to reach out to Joseph before you stop listening oh to their God, music? Like, well, you know what I mean? And like, part of me is, like, mad that I did that. I'm like, I yeah. should have just stopped listening to them because I'm I'm expending myself right. to tell them right. that they need to, like, to tell them how to be better white people. Right. Why is that my job? Not I don't have my fucking job to tell you how to be better white people. Yeah, same thing with the church, like, doing a lot of work to try to, like, help the pastor out or try to, like, you know, lead some sort of, like, group at the church uh to to create a safe space that 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 wasn't given to you so you're going to do the work to try to create it um i mean there, there's just like yeah i i feel like that was 2021 for you was like kind of wanting to hold on to these things that didn't center you and that didn't make space for all of you um and right just because of the history right just yeah. because of the history that's there with these relationships and i don't want to lose those right and i'm afraid of being of feeling alone if i drop them and and also i do love these people right right so it was painful it was painful it and was it still really it remains painful, painful. it remains yeah. painful to lose relationships um but it's necessary it's like a necessary part of the reclamation process because those people can't come with me they could if they wanted to but they don't so then i have to go and find my people you know so yeah you've been through um a lot this year um how has the atlanta spa shootings and just everything that's come after that how's that changed you hmm i mean i feel like the atlanta spa shootings has completely changed me and has everything to do with where I'm at today. I feel like my name reclamation came from the Atlanta spa shootings. I actually, after the Atlanta spa shootings happened, I removed my middle name and I inserted Jin in the middle, right? It was Chi Jin Ko. And that was the beginning of the name reclamation there. I left my church and found a new church. I left some friendships and found some new friendships. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in so in totality, in so many ways, my life is different because of the Atlanta spa shootings. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what else to say other than that. Like, I, I feel like every every aspect of my life is different. I'm no longer willing to put up with racist casual racist bullshit you're definitely a lot more just like sharing your opinion and like not as afraid to like deal with white people's like sensitivities that's true yeah and i think a lot of that has come from practice with my own therapist with telling her you know even if it has nothing to do about race or or sometimes it does but telling her when she says things that don't land or feel insensitive being able to tell her that and not take care of her emotions and allow her to take care of her own emotions and allow my emotions to still stay in the room i feel like that came through practice within my therapy sessions but 
definitely after the definitely after the Atlanta spa shootings, it was just like, okay, nobody fucking respects us. I'm going to demand respect and I will not settle for anything less than that. And up until that point, I was still putting up with bullshit here and there. And I feel like at that point it was like no long I'm no longer willing to to do that. I'm not I'm not willing to sub subject myself to to bullshit anymore. Um I feel like my activism has kind of come from that place too. Like all the tributes that I'm making for Asian Americans and wanting to make Asian Americans more visible. I feel I feel completely indebted to the eight people that died that day because because they died, I am fully alive. I am fully living in my Korean-ness, in my Asian-ness. I am unashamed. And if I still have shame that's been built into my body because I was because I had to deal with racism since I was four years old, I am actively chipping away at it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't like fully, you know, come to the end of my decolonization, but I do feel like the Atlanta spa shootings was such a huge catalyst for me working to find my community to reconnect with being Korean and own my Koreanness, and I'm so grateful to them. And I I wish they didn't die. I wish they didn't get killed that day. I wish they could still be alive to live their lives and be mothers and be fathers and be husbands and wives. And I think I can draw strength from the fact that they don't get to live anymore. And so I better live my life to the fullest because they can't. Yeah, I definitely feel very protective over my community now, Um, a community I used to feel embarrassed and ashamed of. This morning when we woke up at like six in the morning, you told me, we're going to record this podcast today. Mm-hmm. And so you've been doing a lot of just processing today and there's a lot of anticipation on tomorrow and how you're going to feel. So can you just talk to about like how, I guess how you're feeling today? What are some things that have been coming up for you? Yeah. I think last week, everything in my body was resisting the coming of March 16th. I think I just didn't want to have to experience the grief. So I think it makes sense that my body was experiencing this fear and wanted to protect itself from from the from the trauma that came last year around the same time. And I had... I had known that the rally that's actually happening in the city in Times Square tomorrow to commemorate the Atlanta spa shootings, I've known that that was happening since last week. And I think I was feeling stressed about it and just wondering if I was going to have any capacity to attend 
and just just because it's so much emotional labor to to go and to stand there and just to like dig back into that grief and traumatic place and so yeah I didn't know that I was going to have the capacity to go tomorrow but I think where I'm at now is very much feeling this rallied fighting spirit I think the week leading up to even just today I was just feeling really depressed and 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 that that's not just with the Atlanta spa shootings it's all the other deaths and beatings that are happening to our community every day especially in New York City but today I feel a renewed fighting spirit and I am definitely ready to go to the rally tomorrow to honor the lives of the six Asian women and the eight human beings that were gunned down that day and yeah I feel like March 16th for me could just be a way for me to recommit to the work, to recommit to the work of becoming anti-racist myself, to undo it, like in it, like it could it could be just like a rededication to to the work that I have been doing over the last two years and that I plan on doing for many many years to come. So, yeah, and today, actually, I came across this article as I was preparing to do the podcast episode, and the article is by Mei Chong, and it's called How the Atlanta Spa Shootings, the Victims, the Survivors Tell a Story of America, and it's a Vanity Fair piece that she wrote on March 14th, 2022, and it just tells the story that should have been told on March 16th, 2021. The story of the families, the story of the survivors, the story of their dreams, the stories of their families, the stories of who they were, the stories of where they came from and what they did and and focusing way less on the on the suspect and on the criminal and on the killer himself. And so yeah, I wanted to move into reading an excerpt from from that article. And the part that I'll be reading is about the victim Kim Hyunjung or Hyunjung Kim. And she was the mother of two boys, Randy and Eric, and She was one of the victims that was gunned down on March 16th, 2021. On March 14th, a Sunday, Hyunjung Kim Grant, 51, prepared a beef bulgogi marinade and set it in the fridge at her home in Duluth, a suburb north of Atlanta that is home to one of the fastest growing Korean populations in America. She told her sons, Randy and Eric, that she would be home by the end of the week. Back in the old country, the Kims ran a low-budget guest house, a spare room with a shared bathroom, in Gyeongju, a historic and coastal city in the southeastern part of the Korean peninsula. Kim did well in school, and she was sent to the capital, Seoul, for her studies, a chance afforded to only the brightest of students. According to her brother, Hyunsu, Kim attended Dongguk University, a four-year Buddhist research college that has produced many of South Korea's police administrators and K-pop stars. 
After college, Kim began teaching middle school home economics, but left to support the new family business, a sushi restaurant and a department store. A salesman working in menswear a few floors below began coming up to take his lunch at the restaurant and noticed Kim, who was so smart and pretty and easy to talk to and well-known by everyone, according to Kim's brother. They were soon married, but following the 1997 IMF crisis, as it's known in Asia, in the West, it's Asian contagion, the restaurant closed. Kim and her husband decided to join Kim's sister in America. The plan was to travel on a tourist visa and work for a few years to earn U.S. dollars to bring home. The newlyweds left for Washington State in 1998. They settled in Aberdeen, an economically depressed timber and fishing town 100 miles south of Seattle, where Kim's husband picked up shifts at the local laundromat and restaurant, relatively fixed opportunities available to him as a working-class Asian man. Kim went to work at a hibachi, a Japanese grill, where she served the predominantly white clientele in a kimono. When Kim was pregnant with her first child, she drove past a billboard for an insurance broker named Randy and thought, that's a nice name. Two years later, Kim had another son, Eric. Soon afterward, she and her husband divorced. In 2002, Kim married her aunt's former son-in-law. But by 2008, single again and looking for a second chance, she and her sons headed to Georgia. The family lived out of hotel rooms for a while until Kim persuaded an acquaintance to take care of her sons, including for a period of a year when she sought work in other states. She returned, but Randy and Eric seldom saw their mother. Kim was away a few days to a month for a total of a third of the year. In 2014, Kim was getting ready to leave on one of her trips when Randy, then 14, demanded to know what she did for work, really. Kim had told her sons she did makeup, but Randy didn't know any other makeup artists who worked overnight. Kim admitted that she worked at a massage parlor. I don't know why you thought I would think of you less for it, Randy told her. It's work. Would you rather be homeless? When in town and unwinding from her punishing spa hours, Kim went out at least twice a week, returning as late as six in the morning on weekdays. She would call ahead to Randy, whom she knew would be up playing some video game so he could open the door for her, help her out of her shoes, and tuck her into bed. On such occasions, Kim was in the habit of asking Randy, do you know I love you? Another familiar refrain, if you are married and have a family, will you let me live with you? It was so awkward, Randy told me. I'm just like, I'm in high school. When Randy became old enough to work, he found a job at a Korean bakery near the local H Mart, a Korean grocery chain that was one of the five Asian grocery stores along the Duluth Main Street and began pitching in to pay for the gas and internet bills. That Tuesday, after 5 p.m., Randy was at home on his day off from his bakery job when a text came from the daughter of his mother's coworker, Unja Kang, who went by the spa name Yena. Did you hear what happened? Randy pulled away from his computer screen. Your mom was shot. Randy rushed to pick up Eric, who was working as a cashier at a takeout-only Chinese restaurant and headed for the spa. Eric cried the entire way. At the spa, an officer directed them to the police station, and there, waiting to be interviewed by a homicide detective, they received a call from Kang, who told them their mother was dead. 
That's only a short clip from the Vanity Fair article, but reading this article today was just, I, I just felt like this was exactly what I needed on the day of the Atlanta spa shootings. Everything about this article, centering the victims, centering the survivors, centering their stories, their dreams, their families, and decentering the shooter was exactly what we needed and exactly what we didn't get. And so please go to vanityfair.com and read this article. We will link the article in our show notes. We're coming to the end of our episode here. And this was another one that was really hard to process through and record. And I just hate all of the atrocities that just keep on coming. Um, But I'm really proud of you for just being courageous and sharing your story and just uh, being willing to process out loud and just share your process with other people. And I mean, even just going on this journey of reclaiming your name and your culture and who you are and just, you know, becoming fully yourself Um, because there aren't a lot of safe spaces, literally very few safe spaces um, for you to do that. And so you're having to, to create those Mm -hmm. uh, yourself Um, and to, to count the cost by giving up music or leaving a church or finding new spaces. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really proud of you for just doing that. But at the same time, I loathe that that is your reality. I hate that that is something that you you have to make that choice every single day to do that. It's not something that I have to do. You know what I mean? Like so, I can fit in most places. Uh, so it's just it's infuriating to see. You try to speak up for yourself and then getting shut down. And then Mm -hmm. just, yeah, just this over and over and over process of, of, um, making progress and then getting shut down. Uh, but you're continuing to fight and you're continuing to, to just do that. And I think that's great. Um, but yeah, I guess how, like, all that being said, this sucks and tomorrow's going to suck. Uh, and just, I don't know how to end this. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow is going to be really, really difficult. And I think the silver lining or the saving grace or whatever you want to call it is that I don't have to go through it alone we can be together and we will be together tomorrow. And that's what gives me hope. And that's what gives me strength. And that's what I'm going to hold on to tomorrow. And tomorrow, I think I just plan on reflecting on who these people were reading the Vanity Fair article again, being sad and holding space for them in Times Square and holding space for all the victims of anti-Asian violence that that have experienced anti-Asian violence over the last two years. So that's what I plan on doing tomorrow. And I want to end with a piece that I wrote the day after the Atlanta spa shootings happened. It's called We Are Still Here. It's a poem that I wrote. And I just hope that 
it can give you some comfort during a time where we're all grieving and can give you some hope in knowing that no matter what is done to us and our community, we are still here and we will still be here and we have been here and we're not going anywhere. So I hope this poem resonates with you and we'll see you for the next episode. You can try to make us invisible, but we are still here. You can turn a blind eye, but we are still here. You can minimize our traumas, but we are still here. You can minimize our pain, but we are still here. You can try to erase us, but we are still here. You can wipe our injustices out of your history books, but we are still here. You can try to deny the racism and xenophobia that lives in your heart, but we are still here. You can try to gaslight us until we internalize it, but we are still here. You can believe the white murderer, but we are still here. You can humanize the killer and dehumanize the victims, but we are still here. You can say it wasn't racially motivated, but we are still here. You can say he had a bad day, but we are still here. You can scream, go back to China, but we are still here. You can say ching chong, but we are still here. You can mock our accents, but we are still here. You can pull up the corners of your eyes, but we are still here. You can blame us for the virus, but we are still here. You can say Kung flu and China virus, but we are still here. You can vandalize our businesses, but we are still here. You can send us death threats, but we are still here. You can pepper spray us in the face, but we are still here. You can punch us in the streets, but we are still here. You can slash us on the train, but we are still here. You can try to run us over, but we are still here. You can try to break us down, but we are still here. You can gun us down senselessly, but we are still here. You can just leave us to bleed, but we are still here. You can kill us with your silence, but we are still here. You can hang us from the gallows, but we are still here. You can sling your racial slurs, but we are still here. You can break our sacred bodies, but we are still here. You can stab us in the back, but we are still here. You can try to wipe us off the face of the earth, but we are still here. We are still here. We are still here. 
We are still here.